Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or to donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Uh, most of you know, uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, if you haven't, that's okay. I'll catch you up to speed. Uh, but we, in the last uh, few weeks, we've been on a journey uh, moving towards generous living. Amen. And some of you are like, wow, I came here to hear a sermon on giving. Um, but I really believe that the Lord has been really speaking to us the last couple of weeks. Um, and so just to kind of by way of a recap, I'm going to go quickly. Uh, in week one, uh, we discovered that before we can live generous lives, uh, we had to first examine our hearts. And we asked ourselves five questions, if you remember. And these five questions helped us determine whether we love money. Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In week two, um, we determined that stepping into generosity meant making room for it by stepping out of debt. And so if you were here last week, you know that we tackled this idea of debt. Um, and we really, I believe, it's just something that the Lord really spoke to, uh, I believe, a lot of us uh, throughout the week. I heard a lot of people throughout the week at the Connects really discussing and dialoguing through this. And finally, we're going to spend the next two weeks, so today and next week, um, we're going to learn to take action and enter into kind of some next steps um, as generous, as living generous, as a people who live uh, generously. So if I could kind of maybe uh, summarize um, these last couple of weeks, I'd say it like this. Generous living requires us to first examine our hearts. Then to make room for it in our finances. And finally to take action and begin to glorify God with our money. So what does it look like to glorify God with our finances? What does it look like to glorify God with our money. Again, I really want to encourage you, if you're kind of just stepping into this, you can go back to our website, uh, inspiredchurches.com, and check out our SoundCloud, check out our podcast. Definitely will bring you up to speed. But what does it look like for us to glorify God with our finances? For many churches, I think faithful giving has been defined as tithing. And, and, and that may, uh, it may not be on purpose, but by default, I think for many churches, usually when you think of faithful giving at a church, you think of tithing. Are some of you familiar with tithing? Um, and so let me just tell you what it means to tithe. To tithe is to give a tenth of your income to the local church as a means by uh, which you would trust God and your finances. And I kind of want to focus on this concept today, but we're going to do something a little bit different, so just kind of stick with me. Now, regardless of what you may have heard uh, in previous places, um, I, this is what I really want to know. Regardless of what we all may have heard uh, in previous places, I want to know what does the Bible have to say about this idea of tithing and what should generosity look like as a follower of Christ? Now, this is super important. 
We have to, as a church, we, we must address misconceptions, misinterpretations, um, because here's why. An unbiblical view of giving, are you ready? An unbiblical view of giving can lead to an unhealthy relationship with Jesus and an unhealthy relationship with his church. Some of you have been duped by, uh, 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 by bad giving theology. And because of that, some of you don't even step into churches because you think they're all about money. And so an unhealthy biblical view of giving can lead to an unhealthy relationship with Jesus and with his church. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give five, I don't know, unhealthy marks. And uh, let's have a little fun, okay? Well, let's try. Um, See if you can find yourself on this list. Are you ready? I won't make you raise your hand, <laughs> but just see if you can file. I'll identify myself somewhere on this list, but let's see if you could find yourself on this list. Are you ready? I called the first group. There's this first group. I call them guilted givers, okay? Or you could call them obligated givers. Can I tell you a little bit about, can I explain to you what a guilted giver or an obligated giver has to endure? Are you ready? <clears throat> You might have heard a pastor say something like this. Jesus died for you. He went to the cross. He suffered. He gave his life for you. The least you can do is give 10% of your income. Did that work? Any of you guys feeling guilty? Some of you are laughing. Um, honestly, there has to be a better way. As followers of Christ and really as a follower of Christ and as a pastor called to lead his church faithfully, um, I don't want the motivation of my giving to be shame. Why? Because when I give out of guilt, when I give out of obligation, I'm in danger. Right? What, what am I in danger of? I call this next group the frustrated giver. The frustrated giver. I give, but I give begrudgingly. I give not out of joy, not out of delight, but I give out of frustration. I don't give because I want to. I give because I have to. Have you found yourself yet, maybe? Eh. Well, maybe... You haven't found yourself because maybe you just don't give. <laughs> You're just like, I solved that problem. I just don't give at all. <laughs> we could be honest in here. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? Amen. Maybe you're just like, I just don't give. I can't find myself. Well, I got something for you. <laughs> Listen to this. Um, if the church is unbiblical, it can cause us also to become, are you ready for this next group? The angry non-giver. Have you ever met him? I don't know why he's a guy. In my mind, he's a guy. <laughs> right? I mean, how dare the church, how dare the pastor talk that way about money? You with me? The angry giver says, I see right through this. It sounds way more like manipulation than generosity. And if that's the case, I'm keeping my money. I don't think God needs it anyway. Right? And can I say, 
The angry non-giver is the result of the unbiblical preacher teaching this incorrectly. How about number four? But the opposite of that, the fearful non-giver. Every time the pastor talks about money or tithing, you feel totally condemned. <laughs> and here's what you think to yourself. Oh, no. What's going to happen to me? I mean, I'm going to miss my blessing. I'm going to lose my raise. I'm going to inherit some kind of financial curse. Right? I'm robbing God. Like, what? when am I going to get it? I'm not giving. And so there's fearfulness, right? I've heard somebody say before, I think I might have even said it way back in the day before, but like, hey, you know, if you're not giving with, you know, this, if you're not giving with this amount, then why is God going to bless you with a higher amount, you know? And I, you just kind of hear all these quick little phrases about giving and helping you to become a better giver. Um, and as a result, you take this on, and so you don't give, but at the same time, you're very fearful about your non-giving. Or how about number five? This is kind of where I have landed in the past. Um, I've been delivered. Amen. Um, how about just the plain old disobedient, slightly rebellious non-giver? Right? Just plain old disobedient, slightly rebellion in your heart somewhere. Some frustration. All of that mixed together. Um, and this is a true story for me. Here's what I've reasoned, right? I don't get paid enough to tithe. Right? And for those of you who do a ministry and you're like, and half of what I get goes to ministry anyway. So there you go. There's my tithe. Good. I, I know there's some people here. Now, can I, I'm going to be real with you, okay? Um, none of these categories of givers have a healthy view of what God wants to do. Right? So like I said, there has to be a better way. Because not only... Does our spending habits reveal something about our spiritual health? But our giving habits do too. Amen? All right, let me say that again. Not only does your spending habits reveal something about your spiritual health, but your giving habits reveal something about your spiritual health too. So for the rest of our time together, I'm going to target one particular misunderstanding that I believe can set us free and help us become more generous followers of Christ. We want to be shiny people. We want the world to know that the Father has blessed us with his Son and that we have received Christ. And we want people to know the joy of that. Some of you being a Christian is not very joyful. No wonder why your coworkers don't want anything to do with Christ. You're like, where'd you go? I went to church yesterday and it was difficult. The pastor talked about giving. You understand? And so I want you to be joyful um, because your joyfulness kind of shines so the world can see that God is good. You're free in Christ. He didn't put more rules on you. He broke rules off of you. The world doesn't need another religion. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to talk about tithing. And I'm going to attempt to answer three questions. Again, I've never even did a generous living sermon before, let alone a three-part, four-part sermon, so bear with me, but here's what I want to do for the rest of today. I'm going to answer three questions. Number one, where did tithing come from? Where do we get that? Uh, number two, what does the New Testament have to say about it? Finally, number three, how does it apply to us as followers of Christ who are striving to live more generous lives? Amen? 
So about this time, I'm going to pray. Usually I pray for you, but I'm going to pray for me. <laughs> Maybe y'all could just pray for me too. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all those that have come out today to hear your word. Um, Lord, I, I specifically just uh, lift myself up. I pray that I would preach your word faithfully to the text. I pray that I will not add or take away from it. And I pray that the hearts and the minds of those in this room will be captivated first and foremost by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then secondly, they would be compelled to give out of love for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you ready for this? Okay. Are you ready for this? All right, thank you. Uh, public service announcement before I start, okay? The subject of tithing can be a little churchy. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, it's okay. If you're just a seeker this morning and you don't have a lot of uh, Christian, um, you don't have maybe a lot of Christian background, it's totally okay. Um, I, I, I don't want to get too churchy. I want Sunday mornings. I want the churchy folk to get ministered to. And I want those who have never been to a church before to get ministered to. Um, but we are going to talk about something that can be a little churchy. So at the very least, here's what I'm hopeful for. I'm hopeful that it, uh, this will help you better understand the heart of Jesus and, the, and what a believer should strive to be is generosity, why we give, why we give to the church. And so again, um, it's okay. Um, please stay with me. I'm going to do my best. And secondly, I think the other PSA thing is that I'm going to teach for a little bit and I'm going to do my best not to bore you. So I've kind of put some jokes in here um, just to kind of help you out. But for the most part, we're going to kind of teach today. If you're a note taker and you love lectures, you may like this. If you're not, I promise you, um, I'm going to do my best to make sure that this is the best lecture you ever heard. Just kidding, but we're going to do our best. Amen. So where did this idea of tithing, this churchy word of tithing come from? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to map out. What I'm calling it an Old Testament timeline of tithing. It's really easy. There's three sections that I'm going to share with you, and hopefully we're going to bring that all together. The first thing I want to do is I want to start off with when was the tithe first mentioned in the Bible? Uh, where was the tithe first um, kind of mentioned uh, throughout Scripture? And you'll find that in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20. Again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. I could even send you my notes later. We can send you the presentation, so feel free to do that. I'm not going to go too deep into this, but here's what I want to say. I want to give you a little synopsis of this. Um, after rescuing his nephew Lot, Abram whose name will be changed to Abraham, uh, Abram meets with a king named Melchizedek. Um, and this king is not only described as a king, but he's also given a unique description. Uh, he's also described as a priest of God most high. And so uh, this king will bring Abram bread and will bring Abram wine. And in return, as a kind of a tribute, we're told that Abram gave him, ready, a tenth of everything. A tenth of everything. So let me just give you some brief thoughts. We're just going to roll through this quickly. Some pastors and teachers refer to this verse as an encouragement for us to tithe. Uh, they point out that since... Uh, this concept of tithing predated the Mosaic law. Again, churchy word, but I'll, I'll explain that to you. Since it predated the Mosaic law, then we should tithe as Christians too. 
But here's what I want to suggest that you need to consider this morning. First, um, Abram, nowhere in this story, was commanded to tithe, but he was compelled. What do I mean by that? He was giving out of a response of gratitude. There was no commandment. He didn't have to tithe. He just gave it out of a response. Are you with me? Second, Abram does not give a tenth of everything, but if you read the context, you'll realize he only gives a tenth of the spoils of war. And finally, Abram gives to a man, right? He doesn't give to God in this particular text. Let's continue to this second section in the timeline. The second mention of tithe ever in scripture. Um, The next time tithe appears is actually with Abraham's, whose name's Abram's, Abraham. Uh, uh, with his grandson, Jacob. Are you with me? It's a little dense here, but we're going to get through it. And that's in Genesis 28, 20 through 22. Again, you can go home and read uh, through this. Um, Let me read that to you. Um, Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is Jacob making a vow to God. Now, let me just say a couple of things. Are you ready? Did you catch this? Jacob is not the model worshiper, amen? Like, God, if you do this, then I'll, you know, if you give me some clothes, if you give me a car, you know, this is what Jacob is essentially saying. If you do this, um, and so he's definitely not the model worshiper. I don't suggest us walking around our Christianity looking like Jacob. He's not setting a holy precedent for us in this section, Uh, What we're not seeing here is God saying, Jacob, uh, tithe, and then I'll bless you. We're not seeing that. Um, Instead, what we are seeing is a real immature Jacob. Amen? This is an immature Jacob. I love the scriptures. Uh, The scriptures just doesn't paint our heroes. In fact, the scriptures paints our heroes as failures. Christ is our only perfect hero. Amen? So I love that the scripture does this. So what you're seeing is a Jacob early on in his understanding of who God is. And you see him being a little selfish, kind of like some of us. Amen? Okay. So what we really see is Jacob saying, hey, bless me, and then I'll give you a little something, okay? That's what we see him saying. Again, this is another mention of the tithe, but the circumstances around it seem to be out of the norm. They're not normative. So nothing so far has been binding for us, but now we're going to skip ahead to Moses, okay? We're going to get to Moses, and so we're going to actually go to Leviticus 27. I'm going to speed through this, 30 through 32. Is everybody with me so far? We're good. So, so far, we got the first mention of tithe ever. Then we got the second mention of tithe. Now we're going to jump into where this tithe becomes a command, right? Because up until this point, it hasn't been a command. Um, So let me give you a little context Somewhere around 500 years after Jacob, this family has become a tribe, and this tribe has now multiplied into a nation. Now, if you know the story, and most of us do, um, God raises up Moses, right, to deliver this nation out of Egyptian slavery, and then not just deliver them, but he calls them then to bring them into a land that God had promised Abraham many, many years ago. And in this new land, they would live in their new identity. They would no longer be slaves, but now they would be free as worshipers of God, 
raised up not only to worship God, but also to be a light to the nations. Amen? Now, along the way, along that journey, God gives his people laws. Um, and these laws, you might ask, well, why, why these laws? These laws would set them apart from other nations. God would say, hey, all the nations of the earth do this, but you'll do this. And so these laws are to create an identity. You are not like everyone else. You will shine in a way that will cause other nations to take a look and say, wow. So he gives these laws. Not only would they, these laws be an identity, but these laws are the way in which Israel would relate to God. Now, most of us, I think, are familiar with the Ten Commandments, yeah? But did you know there were about 613 laws? Some of y'all just thought there was 10. Uh, there were 613 laws. Now, it's in this written code where we find the concept of tithe reemerging. Okay, so let me share that with you. Leviticus uh, chapter 27, verse 30 through 32. We're speeding through this pretty good. Amen. Okay, every tithe, here it is, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it, and every tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy unto the Lord. We think Theologically here, we reach deep here, and I want you to know that we believe the word of God has something intelligent and beautiful to say to the world. A lot of times the word of God isn't broken down, and so a lot of us walk out of here with misconceptions. So we're going to talk about this idea of a tithe, okay? Let me quote a commentator by the name of Sam Storms, okay? He breaks this particular law of the tithe down like this. Are you ready for it? He says this, the Israelites were required to pay his tithe. It was tantamount to a national income tax. I guess that word you can say, it was like a national income tax. That is why in Malachi chapter 3, 6 through 12, some of you are familiar with this. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, 6 through 12 speaks of those who did not pay their tithes as what? Robbing God. In Israel, under the Mosaic Covenant, there was uh, no such thing as separation of church and state. One's tithes was a religious tax designed to sustain the theocratic state of God's chosen people. Did you get all that? Stay awake, huh? Here we go. Let me break that down a little further. The tithe would go to the Levites. And the Levites was a group who God required to care for the temple. Now, because that was their primary occupation, the rest of Israel, are you with me, was required to supply them with wages needed to survive. The Levites worked in the temple, and the rest of Israel worked in the fields. And so they would give a tenth of what they would bring in, and it would help sustain this occupation of keeping the center of worship sacred. Are you with me? So not paying a tithe 
literally in the Old Testament kept the Levites from eating. So let's pause, take a deep breath for a minute. At this point, I want to be real careful, okay? Um, I want you to hear my heart. I've been praying that this would be, that I would be careful. My intention is not to put down other pastors, okay? My intention is not to put down other churches, but I do want to correctly communicate the word of God. Are you ready? So let me show you guys a, a popular scripture, Malachi. There it is. Malachi chapter 3, 8 through 9. Again, as long as you're at Inspire, what you're about to hear will be our stance. If this discomforts you, you're welcome to try another church. The one, last thing I wouldn't want to happen is someone to stay here and be angry with me, amen? Like there are beautiful churches that love Jesus all over the place, amen? We can unify, we can disagree in some areas, but I want you to be aware of this, okay? Now that I said that, got everyone's attention. Malachi chapter 3, 8 through 9, you've heard this before, amen? Will man rob God, <laughs> right? Will you rob God? No, right? Yet you are robbing me. This is the Lord speaking. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. It's pretty heavy. Have you ever been told that you're robbing God for not tithing? Um, if you've, have you ever been told, test God in this? Test him in your giving. See that he won't open up the windows and pour out a blessing he can't contain. Some of you are like, I've been given. I don't see no windows. <laughs> Can I ask you to humbly just reconsider this? These scriptures were not written to you. These scriptures were not written for us. They were written for the nation of Israel who was under a Mosaic covenant. You with me? Again, listen to what Sam Storms clarifies. He says this, these people were required to pay their tithes for the same reason they were required to bring a lamb for sacrifice and required to observe the civil code of Leviticus and required not to touch a dead body and required to obey all legislation instituted by God in the covenant with Israel. On what grounds then do we say that Old Testament law concerning tithing is still binding on the conscience of new covenant believers, but its laws concerning other matters are not? Let me just say this. To the pastor that has taught robbing God, do you also teach bring a lamb for sacrifice? Let me give you my thoughts. Maybe we've preached tithing as a law, not out of obedience to God, but out of fear that if we don't preach it, our people won't give. And if our people don't give, then the church closes. And if the church closes, then the mission of God doesn't move forward. And even though our pastors, amen, have been faithful, poor, broke, their people look at them crazy when they get a new car. Maybe they preached out of fear. The law of tithing, because they're afraid that without preaching a law, Christians won't be generous. So before I rag on a pastor, 
This is one of the most difficult things to do. And I'm not trying to pity party for me, but it is. It's very difficult. Those of you have been raised in homes with pastors, you know how hard it can be. Uh, back in the day, there was always this idea that pastors' kids, they called them PKs, right? They used to say they were the worst in the church. You want to know why? Because the pastor would have such a burden for the church that he would forget about his family. Family would end up growing up hating God, hating the church. Daddy was at home, right? They expected all these things from him. And so out of fear sometimes, the pastor will preach something, Right? And we're all, we're frail. I'm a frail man. So if you expect me to walk on water, if you expect me to be perfect, I will fail you. I will fail you. If you've been here a couple of months, I've probably failed most of you already. (laughs) Now, right about now, some of you might be thinking, some of you loyal, faithful members of this house, some of you leaders of this church, some of you that are a part of uh, uh, an eldership, pastoral-type team. Some of you might be thinking, Philip, what in the world are you doing? How in the world are we going to survive as a church in the Bay Area after this message? You're right. I wrestled with this sermon myself. <laughs> Keep this up and nobody's going to give. But let's continue. What does the New Testament have to say about all of this, right? Uh, How should uh, we as a believer relate to the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant today? You know, now that we've been freed from tithing, pastor, can we steal? (laughs) You know? No? Can we rob? Can we cheat? Can we lie? I mean, we're not under the Mosaic law no more. You said it. I want you to consider three points. I'm going to give you these three points, and then we're going to conclude. Don't get too excited. We're going to spend a little time on these three points, but I promise you'll get to lunch. I want you to consider these three points. Point number one, are you ready? New Testament. What does the New Testament have to say? As believers, we've died to the law, but we've been made alive to Christ. We've died to the law, but we've been made alive to Christ. What does that mean? We no longer primarily relate to God through the Mosaic Covenant. We now primarily relate to God through the Messiah. Man, that's just heavy. (laughs) Romans chapter 7, 1 through 4. We'll read it up here. Follow along with me. Uh, Let me give you a scripture verse for this. This is the Apostle Paul. Again, if we were to spend, we could spend years on this, right? Romans, I mean, we could spend years on this. This is so heavy. But I, I want you to catch this. Apostle Paul says this. Or do you not know, this is Paul speaking to the Roman church. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Paul's about to give you an example. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Don't get any ideas, ladies. (laughs) Paul continues, accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, here we go. Likewise, okay? There's an analogy here, okay? Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law 
through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now let's skip to verse six. But now we are what? Released from the law. For all you lawbreakers in here, that's a good time to say amen. We are released from the law, the burden of trying to keep 613 commandments. We have been released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. I can preach here. I want to stop talking about money and start talking about things, man. I'm going to tell you this. This is some heavy theology. The nation of Israel related to God by a written code, 613 laws. But we have been given a new way to relate to God via the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want you to see this. Not by a written code, but by a man. Not through Moses, but through a Messiah. I want you to look at this. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. And then I'm going to jump to 19. A person is not justified by the works of the law. A person is not justified by the works of the law. But through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Woo. Thank you Jesus. Now look at verse 19. For through the law I died to the law. So that I might what? Live to God. See, if he would have just said we died to the law, then it would have, oh, we could do whatever we want. He says, but I died to the law so that I what? I can live to God. This is so important. We didn't die to the law so that we could just do whatever we want. We died to the law so that we could truly live for God. So what does it mean now to live for God? Are you guys with me? Yeah. Okay. What does it mean now to live for God? Here's the second point I want to make. If you're a minimalist like me, any minimalists in here? I love, yes, yes. Any organizers, anybody like to kind of whittle it down and just, I love it. I love it, right? The minimal, the better. A lot of scatter, it's hard for me. Even though my computer, there's a lot of stuff on there. You can absolutely love what God does here. He's like the ultimate minimalist. Are you ready? God takes all 613 laws from the Mosaic Covenant and reduces them down to one. Nope, that's not okay. God takes all 613 and breaks it down to one and somehow figures out how to not violate all 613 by only having one. Now, most of us here, we wouldn't be able to do that. He is a ultimate minimalist, and I appreciate that so much, Lord. He reduces down the right. You ready for it? Here it is. Love. 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 Listen to Romans 13, verses 8 through 9. And since we talked about debt last week, this will be kind of cool. Owe no one anything (laughs) except to love each other. If you're going to have a debt, man, have a debt of love. Amen? For the one who loves another, you ready, has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment is summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and strength. You with me? At this point, I want to ask the worshipers just to get ready. 
I'm going to have the team get ready, but David, if you want to come up. Number three, you ready for this? New Testament reality here. I love this. This is great. This is freedom. This is what freedom feels like. Here it is. Our generosity is no longer motivated by law. Our generosity is no longer motivated by law. But now it's motivated by love. Man, our generosity is not motivated by law, but now it's motivated by love. In the scriptures, there are two motivations for giving and generous living. Are you ready? In the scriptures, there are two motivations for giving and generous living. Here it is. The law of Moses and the grace of God. The law of Moses and the grace of God. One of these motivations creates a minimum mentality motivated by the question, what do I have to do? Just tell me, Phil. Just tell me, what do I have to do? Right? Some of us, we need to know. Like, so what does that mean? So what, my love, how much is that? Give me a number. Right? Somebody gave me a blank check. Said, hey, we just want to bless you and your family. And I'm so thankful for that. But it's still in my wallet. I don't even think I'm ever going to fill it out. You know, it's like whatever number you want to put on there. (laughs) And I'm like, 20 bucks. 2,000. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? Like, I just tell me what I could, you know, give me a number. Here's 500, brother. Here's 50. Like, that way I don't have to like, right? We all need to know. We need to know. But God says, look. Generous giving, generosity in the New Testament to a New Testament saint whose life has been remade through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your giving is no longer motivated by law, so don't feel condemned like you're robbing me. Your giving is motivated by love, by love, by love. You with me? Now it's no longer like, what do I have to give, but what do I want to give? What do I want to give? What, what a question. What do I want to give? What can I do? This is the difference between law and love. And again, I want to conclude this morning by asking this question. How does this apply to our generosity and giving today? If I am no longer commanded by the law under Moses to give a tithe, What does love compel me to give under Christ? Think about that. I'm going to have to go quickly. My time is short, but I do want to get through this. I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37. New Testament church in Acts. It's birthed. Christ has died. He's raised from the dead. He's told his disciples to go make disciples. This is us. New Testament church. Here it is. And it reads like this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Amen. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they all had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles, ready, were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They weren't preaching about giving. They were giving their testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. And great, what? Grace came upon them all. Now, here we go. There was not a needy person among them. 
For as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called, or who's also called by the apostles Barnabas, everybody knows Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, by the way, which is interesting, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Three observations regarding giving and generosity. Number one, notice the apostles did not command them to give. See that? Please don't confuse the early church with practicing socialism. This isn't socialism. Why? Nowhere was anyone forced to share. They were compelled. Okay. Number two, watch this. The apostles did not command them but the grace of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ compelled them. Right? You see, as followers of Christ, we should be the most generous people on the planet. You shouldn't be the worst tippers on Sunday. Right? I worked in a, I worked in a um, restaurant industry for a very long time. And unfortunately, on Sunday, the worst tippers came in. You're not being shiny. I, now I'm going to say this, and I realize I violated my own principle. Not because we feel guilty, <laughs> but because we feel set free. So if you don't tip, don't feel guilty. But I'm just saying, right? 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 The, word, the Lord just, hey, I'm rebuking you. I'm going to rebuke you in your own message. So I'm sorry. You guys got what my, I meant by that. With guilt gone and grace applied, giving no longer becomes a burden, but it becomes a delight. With guilt... With guilt gone and grace applied, giving no longer becomes a burden. It becomes a delight, right? I'm excited to give because I know that my giving is a form of worship. Number three, the goal isn't shame. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't want to shame you. If you've fallen short of living generous, if you've fallen short of paying a tithe in the past you are still fully loved and fully accepted by the Father through Jesus Christ. But here's the question I want to pose to you going forward. In light of the grace that has been poured out over your life, what does living a life of generosity look like? In light of understanding the gospel, what does generosity look like? This looks differently to different people for Barnabas, who's obviously wealthy, amen? He didn't tithe off what he sold. He gave everything, right? For the widow who had nothing and the rich who were, who were showing off as they were giving, and she had a little bit, and she gave that. Jesus said, you know what? What she did was of more consequence than what they're doing. Because even if you have nothing, the fact that you're trying to give something blesses the heart of the Father. This isn't about your money. This is about your heart. It's always been that way. The point is, the, is less about the size of the gift and more about the posture of your heart. So what are our next steps? So, I mean, we've been taking this journey as a church 
for the last couple of weeks. What are our next steps? What's our action plan? Well, today, I'm going to challenge you. We're going to do something different. After preaching all this, some of you might not even like it. But that's okay. It's between you and the Lord. You are free in Christ. Uh, we're going to create a space to be generous. We're going to do two things, okay? And I'm going to have some of these individuals get up who've been directed to go ahead and just pass throughout the building here. We're almost finished. Thank you guys for being patient. During the course of this message, here's what I want to say as they're passing out. And I know you guys are going to start reading, but try to stay with me. During the course of this message, I've actually ran into a few families that are in need. Not because I'm preaching this message. It's just come up. And I said to myself, how ridiculous would it be for us to preach this message and not bless them? Anybody with me? Anybody with me? Feel my frustration there? Look, how ridiculous would it be for us to preach this message? And me as a pastor know that there are some families that are struggling to make their rent right now. They're, it's not like they want new things, but they're struggling. How ridiculous would it be for us not to do something about it? Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're finishing this series. We're going to collect an entire offering. And everything in that offering is going to go to these families that are in need. Look, you pray what you want to give. Uh, and we'll be accountable to this. I'll, we'll make sure that you understand where this is going. This is not going to my pocket. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray because next week when we come back, we're going to take an offering and we're going to give to these families in need. And I'm going to leave it up to them. They may want to say thank you and they not. It's okay. We don't want that. We're not here to let's bring them up. Let's take pictures and put it on Facebook. Look, we gave this family something. And I'm not mad at that, but we're just not going to do that this week. You hear me? And then number two, what you're getting right now, okay? This is a 2019 contribution commitment card. Yes, you found a way to get it in, didn't you, Pastor Phil? Here's what it says in the front. If each of you, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think over this and make up your own mind what you will give. And that will, the reason why we're having you think and you pray is it will protect, right, you against sob stories and arm twisting, right? Um, God loves it when a giver delights in giving. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday. You can turn it to the other side. Just so you know, in no way is this commitment card contractual or binding, okay? We're not going to come after you, all right? The purpose of this exercise is to give you the opportunity to determine in your heart ahead of time how you intend to honor God with your finances and con consider contributing that on a consistent basis here at Inspire Church. Now, we do a membership class. We ask our members as part of their discipleship to commit to giving. We talk about a tithe, not as a command, but it's a biblical principle. If that's a safe place to start. We also give people an opportunity to say, look, maybe the 10% is a little much right now, so I want to start a little lower. Some of you have been giving 10% all your life, and maybe the Lord is pushing you to give more. Right? But it's where God has you. All we want to do is not measure the size of your giving, but just make sure that our giving is as worship unto the Lord. Make sure that our wallet is getting discipled too. And in doing that, guess what? You're just moving the mission of the gospel forward in the Bay Area. And I want you to remember this. Here's what I want you to dwell on. It's this. 
not law-driven giving, but love-driven giving. Giving is my response to grace. Giving is my worship. Giving is my worship. It feels good to be free in Christ. Amen. And as you trust God, I'm going to trust God. We're all going to trust God. We don't know what God's going to do with this church. We can shut the doors in the ear or we can open up more doors in the ear. We're going to believe that God is governing and guiding and we're going to put our faith in his word more than our fear. And again, today's message wasn't to put anybody down. This is just where we are. Amen. And so uh, two things. Will you pray this week and consider to just give next week as we're going to bless few families <clears throat> and then also will you consider giving I mean man if we all gave something consistently man we, we would break out of this place and again I'm trying to stay you know there's a conflict of interest in me of course I want us to give I want us to continue to grow but I also want you to be compelled I want you to be compelled by the love of Jesus and so Heavenly Father I just pray right now if there's anybody struggling maybe with every head bowed, every close, maybe you are in dire strait in your finances and you haven't talked to me yet. I believe that this community is going to bless so above and beyond next week. Yes. That if that's you and you're in a dire place and you, and you need something, I, I'd, love, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And so if you want to throughout the week if you want to send me a message on any of my social media um, maybe we could put up a visual team maybe we could put my the Inspire Church's email up that way you don't have to come up to me after church and you just feel like you're in that place and maybe say you know what if you have room or space maybe we consider me to be a part of that gift I'm just in need I just would hate to leave today and uh, somebody else is not in, is in need I believe we're just going to be generous next week I'm just going to step out by faith here um and do what God has called us to do. Um, and so, Father, I just even pray, because finances can be difficult. And our finances and our faith can be tied in fear and doubt and frustration. So I just pray that we would release some people in this building from that. We give us wisdom to bless. Let us be a blessed a church that blesses this city, a church that blesses our neighbors, a church that blesses the mission of God you are worthy only because you are worthy right we, we give we serve on Sundays not because we I was telling the team this morning we don't serve on Sundays they're not getting paid our volunteers aren't getting uh, they're not getting any type of retirement they're, there's nothing we serve because Christ is beautiful and because he served us that's why we do it and so Heavenly Father we bless I bless everyone in this room bless this church bless churches throughout the whole Bay Area and imagine if the Bay Area just became, the Christians in the Bay Area just became a generous people. What could we do? So will you guide us for your honor and your glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.